SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SportsGrid Fantasy Football Podcast. This is also the Daily Roto Hour here on Sports Grid TV. I am Davis Maddock, joined by Colin Drew today. Jumping in another live underdog best ball mania draft, and uh, we have a wrinkle we're throwing in there today, Colin. Yeah, we got to keep the projections honest. Our projections are free, available at sportsgrid.com. And what we're going to do here is we're going to go with a value based draft purely off of the projections, kind of adjusted for the scoring format. All of that available on Sports Grid. And I'm just going to make the picks off the projections, and you'll be able to kind of uh, say whether or not you're aligned with that. I know you've got your own personal rankings, which you know might disagree slightly with that. Some strategy stuff that might be slightly um, different, but I think a value-based draft is also an interesting approach. And I'll let you roast the picks if they don't go well. Well, I mean, the one thing I guess that I would, I, I actually think that if you wanted to set your ranks up like that and mostly draft off them, it would be fine. I think obviously where you get yourself into trouble is you're probably not building in that many stacks. Yeah, yeah, and I still might reach on a stack like. A lot of times these guys are projected within, you know, half a point of each other or whatever. So uh, I think it's fine to reach a, a spot or two, but you definitely want to be taking a guy if you're going value-based draft that's kind of within, like, the top 10 of the page. So uh, we got pick 1.7. Right now we're running back heavy at the top of the board. We've kind of got seven running backs ahead of Michael Thomas, who's the eighth player in the draft. So we're going to get a running back. And right now I think it might be a little bit contentious for you. You probably prefer Clyde Edwards-Hilaire here, but Dalvin Cook slid there. So... Um, I think that's one of the cases where maybe there's a little bit of risk with Cook that maybe isn't baked into the projections, but um, I think it's still a good value at 1.7, and it definitely aligns with you know getting a top-end guy that should, when healthy, get um, you know 70, 80% of the market share of teams' rushes, and over the course of the season, at least get you know 60, 65% of those. I basically view those two guys as total coin flips, right, Clyde? I think that. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire probably, if he just you know wins that job outright, I think he inarguably has a higher ceiling. But we pretty much have Cook projected for about 80% of the work in Minnesota, and there are a lot of guys who can take touches away from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think what wouldn't be surprising at all is if Cook is winning that battle through like the first you know six to eight weeks of the season, but kind of down the stretch, it ends up being something where Cook doesn't perform as well on a week-to-week basis. So. It's possible that Edwards Hilaire puts up bigger games for best ball, but that Cook outscores him on the season. Um, and those are also things that aren't necessarily baked directly into like a value-based draft approach. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, also, I think that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is like a legitimate stack with Patrick Mahomes. I wore I wore a Chiefs jersey today trying to duplicate our uh, our Mahomes stack from the first episode we did, but we uh, we're we're not quite getting there. We, I guess we, I guess we, uh, we're, we're not tempting fate today. No, no, I don't think Mahomes is going to fall into the mix, um, here just cause he, he typically goes in, you know, the, the third round or so. And so we've definitely got some, you know, chiefs that would be potential guys who would fall with us. I think Tyreek Hill just went two picks before us. So he was potentially on the board, but it's looking right now, like we'll end up taking one of Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, or James Connor with 2.6 and going with, you know, RB, RB start, which um, which I think means later in the draft, we'll obviously have to pound wide receivers. Um, yeah. 
So I think that is interesting from just looking at the projections that James Conner is projected that closely to us, Neckler and Josh Jacobs, because I like kind of in my mind, I actually think of Connor and Jacobs very similarly where Connor's risk is not in his actual like on field performance. It's in seeding, you know, snaps to other players and Jacobs. It's just, he might play 70% of the snaps, but I'm not certain he's going to catch that many passes. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. And definitely one of the big question marks with Connor is, you know, we've often seen him used as a workhorse, but whether or not they'll still give like coming off the injury, whether or not they'll still keep him as involved in the passing game. Um, I know we obviously expect the offense to bounce back a little bit with big Ben at quarterback. It certainly can't go a lot worse at the quarterback position, but that's probably one of the other risks with Connor is, you know, we're projecting Pittsburgh as a decent offense, not necessarily an elite, you know, top five offense, but a decent one. And the Raiders were not projecting as that. And so if Pittsburgh ends up, being worse than Oakland offensively and getting worse quarterback play out of Big Ben, then that would be another kind of risk in the Connor projection. One of my assumptions actually would be from drafting off of the projections is that uh, it's we're going to be prompted to draft a lot of Steelers because I have them much more closely projected to the 2018 version of the team in terms of efficiency, in terms of points scored, uh, you know, in terms of their line versus other teams. Whereas, you know, if, if it was closer to the 2019 stats, they would not look near as good. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the other interesting stuff, if you're drafting purely off the projections, um, like Melvin Gordon projects slightly ahead of Todd Gurley. Yeah. And I think that might be okay from a base projection, but it, it at least feels like there's a chance that Gurley gets like more of a workhorse role than Gordon does. And so maybe the ceiling, maybe the medium projections are fine, but the ceilings are different. But um, I think overall, I think the way that the thresholds are kind of set up and, you know, thinking about drafting like uh, six running backs, eight wide receivers, um, we're ending up getting a lot of the, the running backs early in the draft based on the value based drafting approach. Which is, you know, what uh, a lot of people have been, of course, been doing best ball research this offseason because we've been trying to figure out all these new formats kind of on the fly. And something we found is you know, ideal best ball construction really is hammering running backs for the first four rounds, five rounds, and then just loading up and may, maybe limiting yourself to five running backs and literally taking 10 wide receivers and just really trying to take advantage of all of that variance in scoring, which I, I think is interesting. At the end of the day, you know, I do tend to dra- just do the two quarterbacks, six running backs, eight wide receivers, two tight ends. And then, you know, you add in an extra tight end or quarterback kind of depending on the uh, the levels there. But we are going to go ahead and head into our first break here real quick on the Daily Roto Hour. When we return, we will continue our underdog best ball mania draft live on air uh, going through these every week on the show trying to give you guys an idea of how the best ball market is shifting as things move right now sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. So we are three picks through this draft uh, with a with a wrinkle this week where we are essentially just drafting kind of straight off of the projections from a value-based perspective. Beginning our draft with Dalvin Cook, second pick, 
Collins selected Austin Eckler. And then uh, the first real contentious part where uh, I, of course, would have disagreed with the projections and taken DJ Moore, Smith Schuster, AJ Brown. Colin, we took we took dusty old Melvin himself. <laughs> yeah, we took Melvin Gordon. I mean, it was Gurley went right the pick before us. He was the next guy up and then Melvin Gordon. So, um, I mean, we don't feel great about it, but we do put a lot of thought into the math behind the projections. And it's definitely, it's, I mean, Gordon's going to be the goal line back in that offense. I think the, one of the open questions is if he has nearly the same level of passing game involvement he had had in the past. But uh, goal linebacks can be really valuable. And so I, I think I understand why it's there. Obviously, if we were going with a different approach, we might have uh, chosen a different running back there. But it does start with a running back heavy build. Um, I think an important thing for value-based drafting, if you're kind of picking the best players, you do still want to be dynamic uh, because we're essentially setting like a point threshold and comparing our projections to the target point threshold for each position. But as you fill up roster spots, the demand um, for that becomes less. And so you start to prioritize other positions a little bit. And with the format on underdog, it is a two running backs and a flex, three wide receivers. So uh, it's definitely something where we're going to start taking wide receivers a bit more. And we did add a wide receiver while we were on break in Tyler Lockett as the best available wide receiver we had there. It wasn't really a reach. Uh, didn't didn't feel you know bad about it. Uh, he was kind of the best guy after A.J. Brown had been taking the pick before us. So Lockett is one of those guys who has a very different price depending on where you're drafting. He has uh, on you know some sites he has top of the fourth round is his ADP. I've seen him go as late as the you know sixth round. You know, just kind of depending on where you're. For example, you know in the FFPC, which is tight end premium, and people really really gobble up running backs there. Like you can sometimes get him you know with the the last pick of the fifth round or something like that. So I I just I always kind of find uh, I would just kind of find that interesting where literally just based on the site guys are different. Not surprising to me by the way though that the projections have lock it that high. Because he is literally one of the most efficient wide receivers in NFL history. Like, he is projected for a very outsized portion of Seattle's touchdowns. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's, I mean, the <laughs> you hate to say like a best ball guy, but it's always yeah, hard. Yeah, you like him better in best ball. Yeah, week to week. It's always hard with the efficiency of the Seahawks offense to really know whether to trust him. Um, but I think it's a good play in this. We don't have to make that decision. Another guy that definitely understand why he projects this way you feel really shaky about this pick that we just made at 5.7 just because you're buying off the best year of his career. A guy that was a highly touted prospect did not deliver in his first couple of seasons, but we added Devontae Parker to the team. I mean, again, like I don't feel great about it uh, from like a name value perspective. Cortland Sutton uh, might have been a guy that I would have thought about adding. We had Parker one spot ahead of him in the projections, um, and then Sutton ended up going to the pick before us anyways, but uh, Devontae Parker is the second wide receiver on the team. Yeah, I mean, I just I just have Devontae Parker straight up projected like a wide receiver one. Like, in terms of, like, team market shares and everything, I think that Parker should project pretty much the same as A.J. Brown, um, Smith-Schuster. You know, like, we're looking at Miami's wide receiving weapons. Albert Wilson opted out. Alan Hearns opted out. Uh, Preston Williams is coming back from the ACL tear. Like I, I, I think Parker should just really be projected like a wide receiver one. Yeah. The, the sixth round, we actually had a, a quick little glitch there and, uh, timed out on a pick. So that's where you really get to put the projections to the test. And this is a guy that even doing a value-based drafting approach probably would have passed on in this specific format, just because it was such a big reach on the ADP. But, uh, Tariq Cohen actually was ranked ahead of guys like Ronald Jones, 
Marlon Mack, Philip Lindsay, Latavius Murray, Carrion Johnson, and based on a running back heavy or like valuing running backs pretty highly in this type of format, ended up being the the auto pick in the sixth round. Definitely a bit cringeworthy. Yeah, uh, I mean, clearly it's it's not a pick that you feel particularly great about making, but again. Because Cohen's role is so solidified, you know he's going to catch passes. You know he's going to get uh, 50 to 85 rush attempts. Like, from from just a median's projecting perspective, that's why he gets pushed up so high. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think um, that's a bit of a flaw with the overall approach. Um, I think I, I, I would argue maybe a little bit high anyways, or, or perhaps not factoring in the chance that Montgomery is able to eat a little bit more into yeah. the offense in another year with it. So perhaps like a tiny bit high just overall in the projections as well. Might not be, I might not be giving Anthony Miller enough of a market share. That's probably something to look at that, you know, maybe Cohen steps back to like, because if Cohen goes from 16, 17% market share to like 12, 13%, um, like I, I, I got to think that, I mean, that basically makes him no longer a fantasy starter. Yeah. And then the, the next pick, and I'm going to end up bypassing one of the guys who's a value because I think he might be there in the next round, but want to get feedback on if or how you've accounted for his projections. And coming up at 7.7, uh, we have Debo Samuel as the best overall player left on the board at the wide receiver position, followed by Anthony Miller and Brandon Cooks. Um, from an ADP perspective, Cooks is, well, he just got taken, so he was a lot more likely to go. Julian Edelman is right there as well, but I wanted to hear, uh, before I draft Julian Edelman here, I wanted to hear a little bit about um, just overall the projection for Debo Samuel, how much of the injury risk is baked directly into those projections as far as potential to miss games or just have it linger throughout the season. It's it's actually baked in there a good bit. Not only not only did I re- like um, remove his target share from where it was, but I, I moved him to 14 games as well. So it, it, it should be like what we're getting into a territory where the, the range of outcomes for these guys are very wide. Samuel's going to have a really sturdy role when he's active. We just don't know for sure how many games he's going to be active in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you could definitely argue that from like a points per game perspective, he's a extremely good value. Um, but that from an overall perspective, there's definitely some risk there. And I, we ended up taking Julian Edelman, and I think, um, I know he's, I believe he's on your do not draft list, so I feel like that's a little bit in conflict with the projections that we have, and we got him uh, in the seventh round, so I, I think from a value perspective, that is kind of aligned with ADP, maybe even a little bit after he usually goes, which is probably why he ended up falling there, but uh, how do you kind of reconcile these things called do not draft lists and then projections that, you know, might recommend that you actually take a guy as early as the seventh round? Well, the first thing I would say is that I, I, when I go to draft, I'm not drafting off of median projections. I think, I think actually a great rule of thumb is like for every round you get past the fifth round, median projection should matter less. Just if you're kind of trying to think about the way, because you just are less and less certain about those outcomes and you should, you should build in wider and wider bands of uncertainty for Edelman though. uh, I, I actually address this in the do not draft piece, which is that every year a wide receiver gets past the age of 30, it's more likely they fall off a cliff. But when you look at the SIM scores, the guys who survive every year past the age of 30 are actually more likely to post great seasons. It's sort of a, it's sort of a paradox where you get the, the hit rate gets lower, but the median stay about the same because your age 33, 34 comparables are 
Randy Moss, Jerry Rice. Uh, and, and that's a big way that I do projections is looking at, okay, what are guys with production like this up until this point of their career doing, you know, how do guys perform past like, so I kind of try and put guys in buckets and Edelman is in a bucket of like, you know, might not see 60 targets entirely or could post, you know, a, a very solid wide receiver two season. I think he's a pretty bad stylistic fit with Cam Newton though, is, is one of the big reasons why I'm down on him. Yeah. And I know I don't necessarily think that Cam is locked into a starting role, um, but I, it, it's obviously, I guess, the expected thing to happen, but not. I don't think it's necessarily like a 100% thing, um, which would change the stylistic fit for Edelman. But obviously, the Patriots still are going to project well on offense. They still have a, a pretty high team win total for the season. It's still expected to be decent, and so they are putting up points. Edelman is, you know, at least one of the guys that we trust the most on the offense, which I think is why the projections there, like you said, a lot of risk for that. Another pick with this approach don't feel, feel great about. Um, but I, I think it's not like an egregious pick either. Yep. All right. We're going to go ahead and head to break here real quick on the daily Roto hour. Be back in just a few moments. You guys. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're watching SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Hello, everyone. Welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I am Davis Maddock, live with Colin Drew, drafting an underdog best ball mania championship team, hoping to bink 200K with uh, with Colin. Drafting only via our value-based drafting per projections in which I get to argue with my own projections. <laughs> yeah, and all these projections are for free over at sportsgrid.com. If you want fantasy projections, we've got standard half PPR, full PPR up here. The underdog format is half PPR. Through eight rounds, we've got four running backs, four wide receivers. So we're definitely building out depth and hammering those positions. Looks like we're going to be set up to be, you know, taking some pretty late picks um, at the quarterback and tight end position, which I think is pretty interesting. There are definitely some decent quarterbacks that end up going pretty late um, and some guys that could align with some of the players that we've drafted already. Uh, one of the guys I wanted to get your feedback on, I guess two of them, two rookie running backs went off the board since we picked last. These guys were late eighth rounders or early ninth rounders. And that's uh, Keyshawn Vaughn with Tampa Bay and Antonio Gibson with Washington. It, it feels like a reach on Antonio Gibson. Like he's kind of getting to that like peak hype levels. Uh, but I wanted to get your feedback on him because from a projection perspective, we had him just behind uh, some guys that are zero RB targets, Philip Lindsay, who we're about to draft as our fifth running back on this team and Latavius Murray. So Gibson, uh, I have been projected. I actually have been so nerding out on this stuff. I even know this off the top of my head. I've been projected for 135 PPR points, but I think I could be off on that by 75 points either way, just kind of based on what his role ends up being. However, we we totally see around the beginning of August, and especially as August starts to close, any running back with juice, like any zero RB sleeper guy, 
there is no value left in them by then. You know, last year in in the best ball championship, we were seeing Tony Pollard round eight, Justice Hill round nine, Malcolm Brown round eleven, right? Like there just there was no room left for the zero RB sleepers, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be particularly interesting to see what happens with Gibson. I know their running backs coach was talking about how he's not uh, totally polished as a runner, but he has been also taking like film sessions with their wide receivers uh, just because route running is going to be an important part of his role with Washington. Be interesting to see how they use him, how they use AP, and then just the question mark around the health of Bryce Love seems like um, a guy that might be like a, a last round type of draft pick, but um, I think like guys like AP end up being kind of interesting as you get to like the 16th round because they're there quite a bit as well. Yeah, I mean, Adrian Peterson is boring, but he is returning to a team where he led them in carries last year. Now, he wasn't targeted in the passing game at all, but last year they were terrible on offense. And we actually think that Washington has a chance to be decent on offense in 2020 you know we think that Haskins should see a little bit of an improvement as a passer there are a lot of people who are really high on him uh you know another year of growth for McLaurin like I I think there are a lot of I think there are a lot of ways that Washington can be better and that Adrian Peterson can be a value yeah definitely and you know like a, a thousand rushing yards eight touchdowns or like six to eight touchdowns I mean those are very very plausible outcomes for AP on the season those aren't things that get you super excited in like seasonal drafts. Definitely not you're interested at all in dynasty, but you know, you're talking about half of the games putting up like 10 to 16 fantasy points that ends up being pretty valuable. If you're talking about that from like a fifth, sixth running back on your team. Yeah. Um, and I, I do, I just want to go back a little bit and say, I, I am definitely at odds with, uh, with some of my, with some of my uh, fellow zero RB zealots, but I, I actually do really like, Philip Lindsay, though though we did just draft Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon on the same team, which is hashtag not great. <laughs> I was going to bring that up, and uh, you know, both guys being values, I think, was pretty interesting for, for the projections relative to their ADP, uh, and just shows, I think, you know, part of that could be run pass ratio with the overall projections, and whether or not we think like in a, in another year of development at the quarterback position, it'll remain the same. But um, if they do end up like that, it's certainly not shocking that they could both end up as uh, plausible fantasy options. And if you were to draw like a parallel to the Patriots when they had Sony Michelle and James White, you know, you were definitely getting good outcomes out of both of those guys if you were able to draft them reasonably late. So uh, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I do think it builds in a safety net. Uh, maybe not the best for this specific format where you're going for like the 200K, but especially in a year where guys could get COVID and miss weeks, I think. Um, as long as you're not forcing the handcuff, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to take two players from the same team at the same position. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's the the worst thing in the world. I try and avoid it with... I do try and avoid... Like, I, I think actually in the case of something like Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, I don't hate it, right? But uh, I think that Lindsey and Gordon are more uh, related to each other's outcomes, though our projections are higher on Denver than the market. I, I actually think adding all of these guys on offense is going to be is going to be huge for Drew Locke and I expect them to be a more pass heavy team in 2020 for for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll end up being pretty pretty interesting to see how it shakes out. And Boston Scott definitely one of those guys that in the medium projections isn't going to pop because of how high we have on Sanders, but there is, you know, a chance that he ends up getting a bigger role. Yeah, I, I certainly I certainly think that's true. But again, you know, it is it is 
it, it just shows you these pockets in your rankings of like where you end up being higher or lower than the market if if you know both melvin gordon and phil Lindsay are top 100 players yeah yeah definitely and some of the top guys that we have coming up in the 11th round we still haven't drafted a quarterback or a tight end eventually we might have to reach on someone there but the two guys that we have uh, three wide receivers right together. Um, Nikhil Harry, Golden Tate, Rashad Perryman is the best value since we've already kind of added fifth running backs. We're probably going to cap out at six on this team just because we draft invested so much draft capital. Yeah, I would think that this is probably a good spot to start looking at, you know, our, our highest projected quarterbacks relative to some of our available stacks. Um, and then again, uh, drafting from a projections perspective, it, it makes you realize that uh, people are really just projecting when they're taking tight ends in the tenth, eleventh round. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not taking uh, T.J. Hawkinson because they're like, oh, this guy's locked in to 150 PPR points. They're like, well, maybe he can be the second wide receiver in Detroit. Like that really is what's happening with tight ends. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is, um, I guess, like frustrating from this perspective was potentially trying to set up like backdoor stack options and. There were really two options that made sense with that pick. One of them was to grab Nikhil Harry, and then we have both Harry Edelman. We could grab Cam Newton if yeah, he I was like to that. fall. Um, and then the other was to grab Tate and grab Daniel Jones and then potentially add someone else um, later in the draft. And we ended up going with Harry because of the overall approach, and then Newton gets picked you know, a few picks later. So not going to be able to hit that double stack and definitely feel worse about having two wide receivers from the same team without the stack. The Tate Daniel Jones stack is still on the board, so maybe we can go back at that with twelve. Hey, don't don't scoff. We our our stuff likes both Daniel Jones. I I believe Daniel Jones is our eighth highest projected quarterback, um, and as you know, just as a result of that, uh, you know, a a rising boat something something tides. I I actually <laughs> don't know exactly how that goes, but yeah, I mean, a, we have, a rising we have... rising tide lifts all boats. A rising tide lifts all boats. And and Daniel Jones may not be a good NFL quarterback, but he is gonna get out there and huck the ball. Like he is like I I uh I wrote up the other day that I think Daniel Jones could th- could have like a 40-20 season, like 40, 40 passing touchdowns, 20 interceptions. Or if I was gonna pick one quarterback to go 30-30 like Jameis again, it would be Daniel Jones this year for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And Daniel Jones is going to end up being the first quarterback on this specific roster. Tate is still on the board, so we will have potentially the opportunity to complete a stack with Danny Dimes at the back end. Um, So I think, you know, if you're not going to get like one of the top guys that we love that could have QB1 type seasons, you know, obviously Lamar Mahomes, you're drafting those guys so early, but Daniel Jones is the guy. Yeah, like Jones in the 12th round feels like a pretty good value. I mean, he is, so if you're looking at quarterbacks who go after the 10th round, the guys who run are Wentz, but he goes sometimes even, you know, in the top 100 picks, uh, Daniel Jones, and then really late, it's Gardner Minshew, but, you know, there is, like, there's all there's all sorts of stuff with Minshew, like, he could just, he's an undrafted free agent, like, the team could move on from him, no problem. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, so, one of the quarterbacks that we have, it would have been nice to get Cam and then also be able to add Danny Dimes. We could have passed on Nikhil Harry and probably made that happen without really deviating from the overall approach. Um, but that's why, you know, you do a bunch of these. You start to get a little bit more comfortable. And Underdog does have that $5 best ball tournament out there now as well for, you know, people who are either going lower stakes or maybe they just want to fire off a bunch of teams as practice. Definitely love doing these drafts to practice for my home league just because 
you know, it, it's not really like mock draft doesn't really work when you don't have money on the line. But once you have a little skin in the game, I think that the results of these shake out a lot closer to what you would expect in most leagues. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the $5, the $5 is great. I'm going to be in Kansas this weekend, not not in Missouri, not in a band state. And I'm just like, I think I just pretty much every moment I'm awake, I'm going to be ripping through the $5 just to get get some skin in the game. Just just ignoring your girlfriend the entire weekend. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a boys' weekend. We're going golfing and doing our our home league draft, so it's just nothing oh, nice. but nothing but degeneracy. Nice, love to Look, see if, that. If you've never made a birdie putt while also making a selection on some sort of fantasy football drafting app, then you've never really lived. My my favorite is you you brought the laptop to the golf course so that you could like change showdown lineups at the turn. That that is when you know you're yeah. really good. Oh yeah, you, well you set it up if you get if you get a tee time at ten o'clock on Sunday, you can be back. Uh, up by the turn to go rerun your showdown stuff at uh, at noon. It's a big time. Yeah. So coming up in the 13th round, a um, couple of the guys that I think will be available, these would potentially be backdoor stacks, stacks that are really cheap, that do end up falling at a decent value. Brashad Perriman for the Jets would tee up like a later Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, I mean, he goes close to the end of drafts. Yeah, you things. can get him free. And then Robbie Anderson, one of the other guys in Carolina, and Teddy Bridgewater, definitely a guy that doesn't go very early either. Um, so that backdoor stack with Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, uh, and then you can take Teddy Bridgewater, that is uh, one of my favorite backdoor stacks. My my favorite backdoor stack of all of them is Gardner Minshew and LaVisca Chenault. I think that is. That's like kind of like the high ceiling way to build in the backdoor stacks. But you know, just keeping backdoor stacks in mind in general is super important for drafts where you either don't take a quarterback early or you end up getting sniped because, you know, an entry without a stack, you might as well just uh, donate that to uh, to St. Jude. So definitely keep those backdoor stacks in mind. We are going to go ahead and head into break here real quick on the Daily Roto Hours. See you guys back in just a few moments. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, everyone. Welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV. I am Davis Maddock, joined by Colin Drew as we live draft an underdog best ball mania team. Uh, every every week here on the show, we are going through the underdog fantasy app, drafting a team live on air. And uh, Colin, why don't you recap where we're sitting at so far? Yeah, uh, I wanted to get your feedback on something we just saw in the 13th round. Three picks in a row. And this is an offense I don't know what to make of at all. But Michael Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell, Philip Rivers just all went off consecutively to three different teams. A little late run on some of the Colts. And I wouldn't be surprised if Naheem Hines goes uh, somewhat reasonably soon, too. So I'm kind of curious, like, what do you make of the Colts offense? It feels like something has to emerge as a valuable piece of it beyond right. like an aging T.Y. Hilden. But I don't know what to make of that offense. So I think where I'm at is Paris Campbell does kind of make sense in the um, like DJ Shark style where he wasn't really productive as a rookie, missed time with injury, but had that high draft pedigree and really came on the next season. I think the the issues that 
the Indianapolis is going to have. First of all, is they're super. They they're just going to want to run the ball a lot. You know, they they signed Philip Rivers, but I don't think that means that they're going to transition towards you know airing the ball out. Uh, uh, you know, a significant chunk of the time. So I I don't really like taking Rivers. Um, Campbell is the one I I've taken the most. Hilton is pretty much like kind of an ignore for me at ADP. Yeah, yeah. I think the the other guy would be Doyle, kind of as he typically is going. He just went in the 14th round here. I think that's about where you get Doyle, and um, I guess he's the other kind of option if you know. I mean, Rivers has clinged to the tight end position a lot in the past, and so he would be the other guy that I think is like interesting that might have some upside in the offense. Uh, yeah, I I think that I think that is true. I mean, the the issue is is I just kind of think that Rivers is is very close to being finished as an NFL quarterback. Yeah. Um, so the the Darnold backdoor stack is setting up because the next best player on our board, a guy who was narrowly ahead of Eric Ebron in the projections, narrowly ahead of Irv Smith and Ian Thomas, um, was Chris Herndon. And mm-hmm. I think that is going to set up pretty nicely with a double stack Darnold. It's just a question of how early we want to reach on Darnold to try to complete that stack. But um, Herndon, a lot of question marks, but I think the Jets offense has a lot of those question marks as well. So possible he could be a big name. You know, some of the late sacks, Ian Thomas was there too. So we had talked a little bit about Robbie Anderson, Ian Thomas with Bridgewater. That's another stack that you can complete. That's like a double stack that falls pretty late too. I don't think Carolina will be very good defensively this year, which, you know, maybe will make Teddy be a little bit more aggressive than I think people are expecting. Uh, Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, they've already talked about uh, Teddy, you know, throwing the ball down the field more often than like what the, then was in place with Carolina last year. There was the quote that, you know, Teddy was too focused on being like Drew Brees and completing, you know, 75% of his passes. I, I think that the Carolina offense does have the ability to just, you know, total rocket ship seventh in points scored or something like that. Like, I, I think they are one of those offenses that can jump a bunch of tiers. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very fair. Um, as far as Darnold and, and where you would reach on him, I feel like he's the type of guy that I, like he's not going to go before like the 16th, 17th round. And so um, rather than force it, especially with this like value based approach, we'll probably just try to take like one of the last quarterbacks that's drafted in this league. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I think we should try and grab the the stack, obviously, because, you know, we're not we're not sitting here trying to to donate the money. But I do. I mean, I, I, I don't think that. The difference between Sam Darnold and, you know, uh, Dwayne Haskins or whatever, I, I don't think is that large at all. Yeah, yeah. Some of the other stuff that I think is interesting that you kind of see when you start to draft this way. Um, but in the projections, I think Rex Burkhead is actually projected ahead of Damian Harris. Uh, I don't think I would ever actually draft Rex Burkhead just because I think that even if his role might be a little bit more secure in the offense, that there's almost no chance that he steps into like a Sony Michelle type season. Whereas I think it's at least plausible that Damian Harris would step into that. And so uh, curious how you see the Patriots backfield in general. I assume you're not really drafting any of them just because if you have Burke had projected ahead of Harris, you're probably not drafting much Harris either. You know, I, I do have to say that I think that Harris is really interesting because theoretically he can play three downs right so he can he can pass block he can catch passes and then he can be used you know in in the goal line or whatever as well so you know if if one of these patriots running backs was to become uh, a bell cow in this offense i do think damian would be it and i think he could make you know rex burkhead kind of obsolete yeah yeah that's that's pretty interesting um so i mean i think that's something that 
theoretically you would want to factor into the projections a little bit um but i understand that that's kind of like a range of outcomes type thing more than what we actually necessarily expect to happen so i mean that, I, I i thought that same thing was true about damian harris last year and he had two carries right so it's just yeah. like i don't know yeah yeah the the other interesting guy that i just took kind of sticking to the script here with what we're doing in the 15th round and it ended up happening naturally again, and that is Justin Jackson in the 15th round. Um, I feel better about this one than yes. I did about Melvin and Lindsay, just because you're not investing any draft capital in Jackson at this point. Yeah, because, well, and last year when Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler were both active, they were both still scoring points, right? Because they, they basically are playing two different positions. And I think you could even argue that the switch to uh, Tyrod Taylor and or the switch to Justin Herbert is more impactful for Austin Eckler than anyone else in the Chargers offense because Phillip Rivers was just such a check down machine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the same thing happened with the Broncos. You know, they had Royce Freeman and Lindsey both putting up points in that offense last year, too. Um, but just the amount of like capital we invested in Gordon makes you feel worse about the handcuff. Whereas, like, if we were getting Lindsey in, like, the 15th round, obviously we would have been pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that is. I think that's probably the—I think that's probably the right way to think about it. I, and I like Justin Jackson. Um, I know that there are— uh, there are like a fair amount of, uh, you know, quote unquote, sharp, sharp people who believe that Joshua Kelly is the better guy there. But I, I pretty much just think that you can be in the middle there and, and be fine. Yeah. So at the quarterback position, we'll have two options that are coming up. Um, one would be Sam Darnold to complete the double stack with the wide receivers. The other would be Drew Locke. And I think Locke would be more of the the rising tide lifts all boats, you know, betting on the overall Broncos offense being a lot better this year, even though we don't have him correlated with any wide receivers. Uh, I mean, I I do have to say I, I have begun to draft Drew Locke, you know, a, a semi-decent amount in some of these best ball championships because his options are are pretty affordable. You know, Sutton goes in the fifth round. Judy goes in the 10th round. Noah Fant goes in the 11th. KJ Hamler goes in the last rounds. And I think there is, you know, what, you know, 10, 12% chance that he actually like is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the stacking here, especially like if it was just Lindsay and then we had like a Denver wide receiver, I think having Locke there might make sense with two running backs from the Broncos. We really need to hope that they're a, a good offense, B, scoring their touchdowns through the ground or a run heavy offense. And so um, because of that, I felt like Darnold made more sense for the stacking. And those are guys that we had, you know, pretty close to each other as far as the overall projections. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that just goes to show you, it is a little bit more of an art, right? When you're, when you're, when you're working with stacks, when you're trying to win, when you're trying to win the, uh, the $200,000 top prize, it, it is just always going to be a little bit more of an art. Yeah, <laughs> it def definitely is. And one of the things that we're going to have to get pretty artistic with is going to be the tight end position because we've got Chris Herndon. He is obviously a wild card. And then we've got nobody else. There's not a lot of depth overall on the board. Um, and so I think we need to, you know, decide who of the tight ends that we want to take late. You have kind of the floor play, which is Kyle Rudolph. You've got, you know, a guy with more risk, possibly more re reward like Jay Sternberger or Cole Komet. And then you've got like a Dawson Knox type player. As well. I, I like I like Dawson Knox and Gerald Everett uh, quite quite a bit. Yeah. 
And then I think the other just macro thing is is the overall just roster construction. And um, I know that's something we focus on a good bit. We've got two quarterbacks right now, six running backs, seven wide receivers, and one tight end. And so we're definitely going to add at least one tight end. Um, we're pretty set at at running back as far as having you know decent depth and some early draft capital invested in those guys. And I think seven or eight wide receivers both is fine. And so I think in the last round, we're going to have to decide between whether or not we want to draft you know, a third tight end given the mediocre tight ends or whether or not we just want to hope we get those guys right and add like an age wide receiver. Where does Denzel Mims go on underdog? I, I think that is, that would probably be a pretty strong candidate for our final selection yeah, just, he, to, just to be all in. He he went in the 16th round in this draft. Oh. You know, he'll go in the last round sometimes as well. Uh, I think it's, he's the type of guy that depending how people see things shake out between like Crowder, Perriman, Herndon, it wouldn't take a lot for our projections to move him to like the 16th round versus like, I think we got him like closer to the 17th right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of interesting. I, I would think that Mims would be more in the bucket of like literal last round wide receivers as opposed to and he guys that we're having sometimes. to worry about getting sniped on. Yeah. Yeah. And he definitely is sometimes I think, you know, the, the big thing for, the Jets is just the amount of like vacated targets that they have um, with Anderson gone and, and really only having Crowder there is like the the solid floor play. And then it's just going to end up that Le'Veon Bell ends up seeing 75 targets but scores no touchdowns and just ends up being and just the, the Jets just end up being this massive time suck. Just puts up like the, the Fournette season from last year, basically. Yeah, the, the Fournette season that people can't uh can't seem to let go of. Yeah, I think late round tight end is interesting though. You know, it, Jay Sternberger from from the outside, I I really think that he should be set up to have this like crazy good season, but that you just don't hear anything about him from the Green Bay people. Like they don't talk about him as part of their offense. Like Rodgers isn't name dropping Jay Sternberger. Like I maybe they just are going to play Mercedes Lewis. <laughs> I know. I think, you know, the Packers offense, too, is is one of the enigmas out there. You basically know where it's going to go to Devonta Adams. And beyond that, even on a week to week basis, it was impossible to try to pin things down. Uh, burnt a fair bit of money trying to figure that solution out during the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, I, I tend to think that uh, Gerald Everett probably has more of a role than people are uh thinking to begin the year so that like he in the 17th round when i'm looking for some tight end points Everett is a guy that i end up selecting quite a bit yeah yeah and that's definitely i know you don't want to draft for floor but you also wonder at a certain point whether or not any of these guys actually have like a ceiling and so um right now i'm leaning towards getting a third tight end you know the the option is like a sternberger or kyle rudolph versus a miles boykin as like the eighth wide receiver on the team oh you know, you already know me. You already know what I want. I, I'm, I'm big. I think Boykin is the best candidate to be this year's DJ Shark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. And then Cole Kmet would be the other guy, um, where there's obviously a bunch of questions about the the offense. And, um, I, I mean, I think just with this particular roster construction, um, and where the projections are, uh, we got to remove Deve Devin Funches, by the way. Uh, can't oh, yeah, be drafted Devin Funches, but. Uh, I think that it's Komet or Kyle Rudolph. Um, Let's so, just do it. Let's just go as safe as possible. Let's we, just we're bank. drafting Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, 500 yards, four touchdowns, 40 catches. Kyle Rudolph. Let's get it yeah. done. Yeah. So I, I mean, we almost deviated from the approach. So that was the value-based pick at the position. Yeah. 
Uh, I just am noting that when I go put in this Devin Funches edit, Alan Lazard is going to be like wide receiver 37. Like he's going to be, he's going to be Kenny Stills basically from last year. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly don't even know how they feel about the depth wide receivers. I know they had invested like late round picks in them the, uh, a couple years ago, and none of those well, they guys. Keep, they keep benching my boy. They keep benching my. He, Marquez Valdez Gantling comes in, you know, bails Rodgers out, scores touchdowns, and then, you know, runs one wrong route, and Rodgers sends him to the bench. But uh, we got to go ahead and head into our final break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. Uh, when we return, we'll recap the team real quick, and uh, we'll talk about how we feel about our, our value based drafting squad. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Daily Roto Hour here on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Colin Drew. Just finished uh, wrapping up another underdog fantasy best ball mania draft. Uh, 18, 18 picks. You guys can see them all displayed there on the screen. So, Colin, what are the reviews on uh, on drafting without art on our, our science based draft here? <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a good overall approach, but you don't want to do it squarely off of the projections. I, I do think even though it's not something that is easy to bake in, um, at least like math based, but you do want to think about like the ceiling a little bit. And sometimes when you're, when you're going too value based, you end up being the guy that takes like all the falling players, but um, they're falling because yeah, a lot you, of people you don't catch see their all the falling knives, right? Like it's it's okay to catch two or three, right? So it's okay to it's okay to take the guy who falls around and the quarterback who falls two rounds, but you don't want to be doing that with every you don't want to be the auto drafter. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, I think overall the team, so at the quarterback position, Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold uh, got them with pick one thirty eight and one eighty six. If you're not getting a top end quarterback, I really don't hate the way that this shook out because I think there's some upside between those two guys. And I think that the floor of most quarterbacks on a weekly basis is solid as well. So I don't mind that quarterback setup. It actually, in the end, would not surprise me if the, you know, the best ball championships this year are are certainly going to be won by teams that go Ryan Fitzpatrick to uh, Justin Herbert, Tyrod, because you are giving yourself so many other chances to smash the skill position players. And, you know, the team that won the million dollars on draft last year, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Devontae Parker stack was uh, was the the points that they were counting at the quarterback position, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes you're the only guys who are drafting them too. It's tough to draft like Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles just because even though one of them would be fine as the 18th, if you're flipping a coin about who's actually going to get the start, that's tough. Running back position for us shook out okay. I like the talent on it. Don't necessarily like the construction. Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, Justin Jackson. So kind of a double handcuff there. We're going to need Cook to be locked into our RB1 basically the whole season. And then I feel we're guaranteed to get an RB2 just out of like four guys from two teams. The biggest reach of the draft was three Cohen pick 66. That was a guy that got auto picked when we were uh, disconnected for a little bit. And I think that's potentially uh, a leak with the projections, potentially a guy that really shouldn't be ranked 66 overall in terms of fantasy. 
Yeah, there we go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go nerf Tariq Cohen's projection right now. Uh, everyone, thank you very much for watching and listening to the Daily Roto Hour here on Sports Grid TV. Colin and I are gonna continue to return with our underdog best ball mania drafts. All of you guys, of course, should go register and get in on underdog as well. And we'll be back soon. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.